Let me ask you a question first. Uh, how many of you m- remember being in love for the first time? Being in love. How many of you remember that? Being in love for the first time. The feelings and the emotions and... Well, uh, today we're not going to talk about that kind of love, but we're going to get to it in a second. We're going to talk about the first time we fell in love with Jesus and got saved. How many of you remember that day in your life where you gave your life to Christ and what it was like? How, how long has it been for you? How many of you have been uh, saved longer than five years, right, or, or, or a year, or 10 years, 20 years? 30 years, 40 years, okay, 35, how long, how long, 30, oh, what do you say, 90, oh my goodness, well, I, I don't know about you, but I remember that day when I gave my life to Christ, 12 years old, and what that was like, um, I don't know about you, but I remember when, when Jesus came into my life and changed my life forever, there was a hunger and passion to learn about his word, a hunger and passion to pray, a hunger and passion to share about Jesus with everyone, to share the good news of Jesus. How many of you remember those days, right? Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today. Today, the title of my message is Recapture Your First Love. Recapture Your First Love. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. You can follow along in the notes also on our Bible app. Click on sermon notes and you have the full sermon notes there on the app. Let's read Revelation 2 verses 1 to 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write these words. The words of him who holds up the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Verse 7. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. This letter is all about restoring a lost love. Restoring a lost love. I need your help this morning. Uh, Would you help me and tell me what are some signs of someone who's in love? What are the signs or symptoms of someone who's in love? Help me out here. Help me. What is it? What are some signs? Someone who wants to spend time with somebody. What else are some signs that someone's in love? Heart beating, right? 
right? They're happy. What else are signs you're in love? Some of you, I think we got to check your pulse this morning. Maybe you haven't been in love for a while, okay? Maybe we need to rekindle that love. If you're married, we need to rekindle that love, okay? What else are some signs? Some people get all sweaty and nervous, right? Some people are, um, maybe for them, it's, uh, they're going to go buy gifts, right? And they're going to shower them with gifts. For me, when Leisha and I started uh, dating, even at 16 years old, I was always buying her flowers every week. The Lord, forgive me. I've lost my love. I don't buy flowers every week anymore, right? But that started, it was the gifts. And I'll never forget, my father-in-law was like, why are you showering my girl with gifts for, right? I'm like, because in my head I was like, I have intentions on marrying this girl. That's why. But when you're in love, it usually requires some kind of action. There's something about it. Um, you spend time on the phone. What, you always with the person, right? Uh, you, you talk on the phone about nothing for hours, right? Right? I don't remember that. Right? No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, 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 you, oh, I just love to hear your voice, right? Oh, you just hang on there. Next thing you know, you're falling asleep on the phone, and you can't wait. That Places of love, but if we're not careful, after a while, it's like, what? What are you calling about, right? We kind of lose our first love. There should be an evidence when someone is in love. If we look at that word love in the Bible, it's a verb. A verb is something that requires an action. It should be something visible in what we say, what we do, how we act, our kindness, our deeds. It requires some type of action from us. Let me give you some background about this text and what's happening. So this letter is being uh, written to one of the seven churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. What was happening in the church at that time is the church was under heavy and great persecution by Emperor Domitian. This guy was wicked and cruel, especially to Christians, trying to take their rights. He takes this young pastor of the church in Ephesus, John, and he exiles him to the Isle of Patmos. And Paul, who writes to this church in Ephesus 35 years prior, this church is on fire for God, loving God. But 35 years later, their love is beginning to wane after a while. It's beginning to diminish. So Jesus speaks to this young pastor, John, while exiled on the Isle of Patmos as a Christian. He can't pastor his church. And here he is writing this letter as Jesus moves him. And he's writing this letter to Ephesus. He says, you've lost your first love. Jesus first starts off this letter, number one, by recognizing what they had done. Number one, recognizing what they had done. If you'll look in verse 2, it says, I know your works. I know your toil and your patient endurance. Three words, works, toil, and patient. We'll unpack these three, three words that Jesus is there recognizing what they had done. Number one, work. This church in Ephesus was filled with hard workers, they knew how to roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. They weren't afraid of hard work. The church in Ephesus could be described as people who were of exceptional merit. 
They weren't a, a church who was afraid to step in and get involved. They're like, no, what has to be done? Sign me up, pastor. What needs to get done? Hey, I'm in. Put me in, coach. They weren't worried. They got involved doing work. The second thing Jesus tells them and commends them is you toil. The Greek, Greek word for toil is kopos, which means to labor till you are weary. It's one thing to work. How many of you have ever toiled before? Where you labored till you were weary. How many of you ever been in life before where you worked and toiled till you were weary? You toiled in a relationship till you were weary. You toiled in the church till you were weary. Jesus is telling the church in Ephesus, you not just work hard. Man, you know how to toil. Endure hardship. You go through struggle. When facing hardship and difficulty, you work through them. That's the difference between working and toiling. It's one thing to work hard. Toiling means to have strong, long, strenuous labor. Long and strenuous labor. Before uh, I grew up uh, working in construction with my brother-in-law and a bunch of my cousins, and we all would build houses all day long. And I would come home just beat tired. We started years old at a young age building houses and construction and at the end of the day I would be toiled I'd be like ah, exhausted toiled I'll never forget one time me and my aunt we got into an argument and uh, she was like oh she was tired because she was in the office I said in the office that's not work I toiled all day long that's exhausting now myself having worked in the office and counseling and talking with people all day long, I feel like at the end of the day, I've toiled. I may not have callus on my hands. I may not be sweating, but I, in the office, I'm toiling, right? So they're working, they're toiling. And for me as a pastor, I would love to pastor a church like this, Ephesus, a church who knew how to roll up their sleeves, know how to work, know how to toil. But then Jesus goes on, he says one more word. He says, you are patient. This word means the capacity to hold out or bear up in the face of difficulty. Patient. To hold up or bear up in the face of difficulty. How many of you have struggled with patience in your life? Patience, right? Whew. I, I'm with you, right? I remember growing up, I would tell the Lord, Lord, help me to be patient and help me to be patient right now, Lord. Right now. Patience. It's tough. It's about bearing up in the face of difficulty. Patience is about having endurance, a fortitude, a steadfastness, a perseverance. God help us to be patient people. Patient not just in the good times, but patient even in the midst of hardship and enduring tough and difficult times. I don't know about you, but in this day and age we're living in, even with this whole COVID, how many of you, your patience is running thin? Uh, two of you. The rest of you, you guys are like Jesus. Huh? You guys are like Jesus. I pastor the best church. Only got two people who are lacking patience in the midst of COVID time. How many of you, your patience is running thin during this time? Come on, be honest. You're tired of wearing masks, and your patience is running thin. 
You're tired of waiting in lines at the grocery store. I pull into KTA the other day. I'm like, really? All of you got to shop right now? Real? How come you guys can't come at another time? I got to shop right now. I'm like, forget this. I'm out of here. Leaving, right? Patience running thin. Right now, during this time of COVID and, and lock-ins, all these different things, we're facing and enduring hardship, and I pray that we would be patient. Patient to hold up and bear up in the face of great difficulty. My great concern for our culture today is we don't have people who are patient and steadfast in the face of difficulty and in the face of hardship. People who don't know how to be patient in the midst of trial. At the first sign of difficulty in their marriage, they're ready to cash it in and we're going to call it quits and move on to the next. Not patient enough. And, and you, all, you get out what you're willing to put in. And many people want to put in a little but get out a whole lot. But you got to be patient to the end. You got to begin with the end in mind. Being patient. I've already written out, I, I shared this before, that at the end of my life, I've already written out what will be said at my casket, that I will still be married to the same person, and my wife will hopefully be more in love with me 50, 60, 80 years from now than it was at this point. Beginning with the end in mind, so why do we need to do that? Because in the midst of the trial, I lose my patience. We lose it, and he says, Lord, help me, Lord. This isn't the end right here, Lord. I got to keep my eye fixed on the prize, on the goal. My concern for the culture today is they don't know how to face difficulty and hardship even on their jobs. One little thing, don't go their way. I quit. I'm moving on. Did you see how they talk to me? They, they, I, I, excuse me, don't talk to me that way. I'm out of here. I'm done with this job. You don't see people sticking through a job for 40 years like the generation before. I don't even know what I'm, what I'm talking about. And, and just because things don't go our way and we don't like the way things go, and we, we're faced a difficult person on our job, and we're ready to throw it in. Face it, I got a difficult boss I'm dealing with, and I'm just going to move jobs. Patience. Endure hardships. It's my concern of this generation because if we're not careful, it creeps into marriages and relationships, into our jobs. It even creeps into our churches if we're not careful. And we start making church about us, and I don't find what I want in this church. And just because I have one confrontation with one person in the church, I'm out of here. I'm on to the next church. I'm preaching this morning. I'm coming for you, okay? I'm coming for you. Or the Lord is coming for you, okay? patience I tell people I say if, if you're if you don't like one person in that church and you're facing difficulty and hardship you might as well not go to church because church is filled with a lot of messed up people uh, two people messed up the rest of you angels angels right you guys is angels I tell you what if you've been in you haven't been in church long enough if you haven't been hurt by someone in the church. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's not something that I condone or want in any way, but no matter where you go, you will face difficulty in the church. Why is it? Because people are there. Church would be a whole lot better if there was no people. People are difficult. Oh, come on. You guys, can I be real and honest with you? 
Let's be real this morning, okay? As a church and as a pastor, it would be a lot more easy running the church if there was no people because people are the difficult problem. But yet at the same time, on the same hand, they are the greatest blessing. And we got to learn to work through things. Be patient, endure hardship. This is Jesus admonishing them. He says, man, you're like a church that takes a licking and keeps on ticking. What brand is that? Timex. There you go. Timex. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. Jesus recognizes them and admonishes them in verse 2. He says here that you are, you cannot even bear up those who are evil. You can't stand those who are evil. This is the church that Jesus is telling. He says, you're a church who, when you see things that are going wrong that are evil, I won't stand for it. This is a great church. They're not passive. They're not a people who, who let sin just slide by. They're not a people who see something wrong and don't say something about it. Because when you love, you got to say something. It's awfully quiet here this morning, but I'm going to preach till you shout this morning or else we'll be here a little while, okay? If you love someone, you will say something. I think at times if we're not careful, our culture says just let them go and it's okay, but if we truly love them and want the best for them, we got to say something. Why? Because God wants us to be in relationship. And the most difficult part of a relationship is this conflict. And resolving the conflict takes a courage from inside. This church wasn't afraid to stand against evil. If we're not careful, our culture today wants us to be tolerant of evil, evil deeds, evil people, and evil acts. And if we're not careful, we can tolerate those things. But this church is like, uh-uh, we ain't having any of that in our church. Excuse me? What, what did you say? This is my church here, right? Everybody wants to come to the pastor, but how many of you know that this is just as much your church as it is my church? And if you see something evil or something wrong going on, you have the, given the opportunity, authority for me to speak up, right? Say, excuse, what did you say? Uh, not here. Excuse me, not here, right? It's not just the pastor. We owe it to one another. Why? Because we're in relationship. Jesus is admonishing this church. says, you're an awesome church. They, when they saw what was wrong, they called it wrong. When it was sinful, it was sinful. Yet despite this church's hard labor, toil, and patience, and calling out and standing against evil deeds, Jesus rebukes them and tells them, you have left your first love. You can do all the right things, get all the right things done, check off the box. How many of you are box checkers? I'm a box checker, right? Check off the box, and we can check the box and miss the whole person in the process of just getting it done. Jesus is saying, you, you work, you toil, you're patient, but you missed it. He rebukes them. Number two, it goes from one, he is admonishing them and recognizing them to then rebuking them. How many of you ever have heard somebody talking to you and they share like really nice words and you're like, okay, something's about to come, right? Like you're telling me all these nice words, but this is the setup for something to come, a rebuke. How many of you have ever had that before, right? right somebody talking all these nice words to you and you're like, okay, what, what, what is this about? Right? Jesus is like, 
man, you work, you toil, you're patient. They're like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. He says, but this one thing I have, you have left your first, left your first love. Jesus is rebuking them. Go, let's go to verse 4 and read that. I've got this one thing against you. You've left one, uh, in ESV says, you've not left, you've abandoned the love you had at first. You've abandoned the love you had at first. That word abandon. Abandon. The Greek word for abandon is aphiomi. This Greek word means to dismiss or release someone from one's presence. When we've abandoned the love of God and abandoned the love of Christ, we've dismissed or we've released him from our presence. We've released him from the place where we're at. We've released him. And if we're not careful in the church, we say, God, where are you at? Right? Lord, I'm doing all these things for you, Lord, but I don't see you because we've missed it. We've left our first love. Afiyami. It's this idea that we've allowed someone else to leave. We've not just allowed, we were like, here's the door, Lord. I'm a little busy in church. You can go. Thank you, Jesus. I got work to do. If we're not careful in the midst of raising a family, in the middle of a marriage, you can do all the right works and still miss the person and miss the love. We preaching this morning? Okay, all right. Just checking on you here. I want to encourage you not to dismiss or release. That idea of dismissing or releasing is a choice that along the journey, our priorities have shifted, that we're more concerned about the doing than who we are with, the being. More concerned about what I got to do at home than being with my wife. More concerned about the job that I go to instead of being with my family and taking care of the home and the things that really matter. I don't know about you, but I've been there where I've missed it. I've missed it. God, forgive us when we've dismissed you. Say we don't need you and we've released you away from us. Meanwhile, still going on in our lives. Oftentimes, people come to church and they say, what do you want from me? <laughs> they, they come and, and they'll say things like this. Uh, okay, so now that I come to church, so what do you guys want? I'm like, we don't want anything. I don't want anything from you. Well, you know, it's, you want our money? I'm like, Jesus don't want your money. The church don't need your money. We don't need your time, don't need your talents, don't need your treasure. Don't need it. God don't want any of that. He wants your heart. He don't want any of that. You think your money will truly make a difference in light of everything else? He's like, God is like, I want your heart more than anything else. It's not concerned about what you can do for him and what you can give back and all the talents that you have. He's, God's saying, come to me, come back to my heart. This Greek word for love that Jesus uses here is the word agape. There are four words to explain uh, the uh, love. I'm going to use three of them today. Eros, which is a love or sexual or sensual type of love. And it would use words something like this. What can I get from you? It's this idea of love, but 
you're out to get something from someone else. What can you, how can you fulfill my needs? How can you fulfill my desires? How can you fill a gap in a place in my life that feels empty? And it's this eros type of love. And the second type of love is phileo. And it's this relational or friendship type of love. And it's this love that says, hey, I do for you, but you going to do for me. Right, it's this love, it's this reciprocal type of love where, where Eros is like, what, what am I going to get out of it? I'm marrying you. It's a selfish type of love because I'm marrying you. I'm getting out of you for how you can cook and how you can work and, and the job that you have. And you're thinking about how this is all going to benefit you. And it's this Eros type of love. And Phileo is like, man, I'm going to do for you, but man, you're going to do for me. It better be reciprocated, right? It's just going back and forth. But here we see in this passage, Jesus is telling John to write to this church in Ephesus. And he says, it's an agape type of love. And that love that says, I'm willing to give you just because I see you have a need. I don't want anything in return. In fact, if you never tell me thank you, it's okay because I'm here to bless you. I'm here to pour into you. I'm here to give back to you. And you don't even have to say thanks or bless me back. I don't want, there are no strings attached. Agape love. That's the kind of love God calls us to. That's the kind of love we need in marriages today. Why are marriages failing? Because it's a love of, I don't get what I need out of this relationship. They don't tell me uh, that I'm good. They don't always putting me down. And it's always concerned about what I can get and not what I'm giving. Agape says, you don't have to give me another thing. I'm here to love you and bless you and serve you. You're not here to serve me, and I don't expect anything in return. I'm here to serve you, and hopefully the Lord is working in the spouse's heart, and they're having the same thing. He says, I appreciate you serving me, but it's my heart to just serve you. That's an agape type of love. That's the love here that Jesus says, you've left that kind of love. That's the kind of love that we've left here in the church where we first started off when we gave our hearts to the Lord and we were passionate and all in for God. And God, however you want to use me, use me, Lord. If I got to scrub toilets or if I got I to uh, go outside and do the parking lot, or I got to be an usher. Lord, whatever you want, I'm willing to do, Lord. Lord, I don't need no credit. No one even has to mention my name. You don't have to put me down or recognize me at all because I know that you see, Lord, and I'm willing to love you back like how you love me lord and, and you don't ask for it lord but you just say come that's the kind of agape love that i think we've strayed away from where now it's like well what is it in it for me what do i get out of this i'm here serving but how are you going to give back to me we've missed it we've missed the heart of god we've missed the agape love jesus rebukes them Jesus rebukes them and says, you don't love me like you used to. You don't love me like you used to. I don't know if you've ever been rebuked before, but if you've ever been rebuked by the Lord before, and, and I've been rebuked on this journey where, man, I, I haven't loved him like I used to before. I've been there. How many of you have been there before? Along this journey, I've been only 26 years on this journey, but there's been moments of my life where I needed a rebuke because I fell in out of love with him. You don't love me like you used to. Jesus is talking not just to the church in Ephesus. He's talking to you and I. Jesus wants more than anything else your heart 
and my heart. He wants your heart. He don't want nothing out of you. He, you got, in truth, we come to him with nothing but filthy rags to offer him. And it's this great exchange where we bring our brokenness, our filth to him, and it's the great exchange that he puts on us holiness and righteousness and blessing and gifts. And the exchange is not even. It far outweighs what we bring to him. God, forgive us. I've had to repent on this journey. I remember before when I was uh, f- so in love with the Lord, I would, when I bought my, my first truck at 17 years old, and I, I couldn't get alone in the house where, where I was growing up. So what i do is I would go in my truck, and I would lock the door, and I would turn on music, and I would worship him for hours in the truck. I would spend all night praying and calling out to God and just to be alone with him, oh, to be Lord, and I would open up his word, and his word would pop off the page, and it would be like medicine to my soul. I remember times that in love with the Lord, I would go out, and we, we lived in Paradise Park, and the acre next to us was empty, and I would take a, a little jar of oil, and go far into the bushes where nobody could see, and I would put out and, and make a little altar where nobody could see but me and God, and I would put a little altar, and I would put oil on it. I say, God, I put myself on this altar. I'm yours, Lord, at 16, 17 years old. Use me. My life is not my own. Do with me as you will. Have we left our first love where we were passionate all in. We didn't care about the credit. We didn't care about what had to be done. God, my life isn't my own. It's yours. Amen. Jesus doesn't leave them there. He gives them recognition. Then he rebukes them, but then he gives them a remedy not to stay there because that's the God that we serve. He doesn't leave us in our sin. He wants to restore there's somebody here who needs a restoration from the Lord. And I believe the Lord gave this word. We talked as a team. It felt like this is what God wanted us to preach to wrap up the Ephesians series. Because God wants to restore someone here or watching online your love for the Lord. Restore. We can look in the, the verse. In verse 5, Jesus gives this church a remedy to restoration. He gives three things to the remedy for their restoration when they've fallen out of love with him. The first one is, he says to remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. You want to fall back in love with the Lord and go back to that place where you were all in and passionate for him? We got to remember. Remember. Remember that time when you called out to God and cried out to him and he answered your prayer? Remember. Remember that time when you were in your sin-sick state, hopeless, broken, and hurting, and God stepped in and rescued you and saved you? You need to remember. Remember that time where you, you, you didn't know about a job and your finances were in a mess and, and you prayed and asked God and God came through and provided for you in a, in a miraculous day. He says, remember. Remember that time when you called out to me and I heard you. Remember. Remember what I brought you from. Remember when I fixed the things that you thought couldn't be fixed. Remember when you called out and I was there for you. Remember when you read your word and you couldn't get enough of it. You were hungry for it. You were thirsty for more of his word. Remember. 
Remember when you used to spend time in prayer and call out to me. Remember what a mess your life was and how he rescued you from your sin-sick state that you were in. Remember. It's the first key to this remedy is remembering. Go back to the day you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and go back to that days of remembering that place. I go back and remember I grew up in this church, and I was passionately in love with the Lord. My, my desire was not to be a pastor. My desire was, Lord, I want to serve you in whatever way you see fit. At the time, it was cleaning church. All of us used clean church every Friday night, and then it was maintaining the building and changing panels and fixing the roof and the fire extinguishers. I said, Lord, my heart is to serve. I remember those days. If we're not careful, that passion that I have, I'll use myself for an example. I said, Lord, I will do anything, Lord, to serve you. I said, Lord, I pray that you'd bless me with my own business so that I can work full time for the church and I not even get paid because I love you so much, Lord. That was my heart. I remember that. And yet now that God calls me and I step in to be a pastor, instead of it being a delight, there are moments where it becomes more of a burden than a delight. And I got to go back and say, Lord, I remember. I remember that this is what I asked for and prayed for. I remember. I pray you would go back. Jesus says not just to remember, but then he also says in verse 5, remember, then repent. Repent. Repentance is a word that we don't use that often, I think, in this culture, in this day and age. But God is calling us to repentance. Repent, says the Lord. Repent for our hardness of heart. Repentness for our stubbornness and thick-headedness when we think we know what's best for our lives and we have no idea and we're leading our own selves and our family down the wrong road. Repent, the Lord says. Repent when we have an unwillingness to let go of the things that God has let, asked us to let go. Repent when God, we're unwilling to let go of the bitterness that we've had. Repent when we're unwilling to let go of the hurt that we experience even in the church. I'm telling you, nobody can fix that hurt but Jesus. You're trying to get restoration reconciliation from people but some people may not even be here your true restoration and reconciliation can only come from christ repent repent and say lord i'm sorry for holding in the pain and the bitterness and unforgiveness in my life forgive me lord lord they didn't even know what they were doing wrong in the moment forgive me and i forgive them anyway there's nothing that people can do for you that will have you to Experience the fullness and completeness and restoration apart from Christ. Repent. Jesus' words to this church is to repent. Repentant is not concerned with what we turn from, but who we turn to. And oftentimes in repentance, we turn from one sin and go to another sin and go to another sin. But true repentance is not turning from one to another. But who do we turn to? God, I turn to you. I've been running after all kinds of other things in my life. But it's time I come back to you in your heart. Forgive me, I repent. That's a true repentance. 
I'm praying and believing and trusting God as the pastor of this church that God would bring us back to a true repentance. A true repentance. Worship team, you can come as I close. Repent. How do we restore our first love? We remember, we repent, but verse 5 says this. To do the works you did at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent. But here's the third key. The remedy to being restoring your first love is do the works you did at first. The things that you used to do and the time that you used to spend with him, he says, do those first works over again. Do it over. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty of that along this 26-year journey. I say, Lord, forgive me. I go back, Lord, where I'm hungry for you and spending time with you in prayer and seeking your face and calling out to you in desperation, Lord. So, Lord, may I never get so comfortable, get so callous that I forget what you've done for me and who you are to me, Lord, I come back to your heart. I repent. I return back to your heart, Lord. Return. Return, says the Lord. I do believe that God is giving a word for somebody here today to remember, to repent, and to return. Whether it's you here today physically or watching online, God longs for your heart. He don't want your money, your gifts, your talents, or anything that you can offer to him. He wants your life. He wants you. Return to the Lord. Return to the Lord. If I could beg and plead with you to return to the Lord, the time is short and the time is near and Jesus is writing to the seven churches to get their hearts right because the time is getting near and time is getting close. Return. Return to the Lord. Why do we return to the Lord? He goes on to say, after verse 5, he says, if you will not come, if you refuse to repent, if you refuse to re remember, recall, and be restored, then I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand? That lampstand was that, that place of illumination where our eyes begin to see. I don't know about you, but I remember and I recall when the Lord came into my life, I saw with new eyes. The people that once hurt me, I saw them with new eyes because my eyes were enlightened. This word that I thought was dead and it was stupid to read. I'm like, why do I have to read this word? Because it doesn't make sense to me. But something happened when Christ came into my life that the words began to leap off the page into me. That lamp, that illumination to me. He says, if you don't repent, I'll remove your lampstand. I'll remove your lampstand. There will be no illumination for your eyes. Goes on and he ends with these two thing, things and I'll close. But to the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. But to the one who will repent, I will grant him of the tree of life, 
in the garden of God. Let me explain to you what was happening as I bring this message to a close. The church in Ephesus was facing such great darkness and evil of the day. The emperor Domitian allowed so many different gods. There were 14 different temples set up all around the city. In fact, he himself wanted to be worshipped so much so on the highest hill in Ephesus, they erected a 50-foot-tall statue of Domitian. And, and Ephesus was a port that everyone passed through. It was like a modern-day New York or Paris, a main thoroughfare, big city. And everyone that stepped foot in Ephesus would look up and see Domitian. And he wanted to be worshipped as Lord. Fourteen temples filled the place. And, and people were worshipping other gods. Of those, the greatest temple was to the temple of Artemis or Diana. And it was a place of... Uh, of uh, of sexuality and fertility and this this temple was a football and a half field long and a football and a half field wide and a, 127 columns would hold up the pillars of this building and people all over the world would come every year to worship this God they were given into wild sexual acts and orgies and it was despicable things were happening there at this temple and right outside of this temple in the courtyard was a tree and they called it the tree of life. And I think it's interesting that Jesus tells John to write to this church because they've been in the midst of the battle for 35 years and they were going to this place called the tree of life right outside temple of Artemis. And if you were infertile or wanted to be fertile in your life, you would go to the tree, lay hands on the tree of life and say, and, and begin to declare and, and have healing. If you were sick, they were asking for healing from that tree. If you were without hope, people would travel all over the world to lay their hands on that tree right outside of that temple onto the tree of life. Give them, giving them hope while they go into this temple. People are so lost and hopeless and broken without Christ. And he's still the answer. So when Jesus writes to them in Revelation 35 years later, they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. They saw millions of people go to that tree of life and lay hands on it, asking for prayers to be answered. And Jesus says, I am the tree of life. I am the tree of life. You've been going to the wrong things, seeking the wrong places, trying to get answers and hope and forgiveness from places that you don't belong going to. Jesus says, return to me. Come back to me. This is Jesus' heart plea and cry. When he tells them about come back and there's the tree of life and the paradise of God and what, what, what he also was referring to was at the time Domitian had this inner secret garden and it was filled with the most beautiful flowers and the beautiful fruit trees and it was meticulously kept but it was in the middle of, of his palace and nobody was allowed into the middle of this garden except people from all over the world great kings and queens and he would entertain and take them to the middle of this what he called paradise this paradise garden the commoner like you and me could never be allowed into that place it was only for people who were filled with such evil at the time could be allowed and Jesus draws this because the people of that day knew they weren't allowed to go there and he says listen you come to me the tree of life and I have a paradise garden waiting for you 
that even though here on this earth you can't partake and be in there, I have a paradise waiting for you and it's called heaven. Heaven is our home. Heaven is our paradise that he's longing with open arms waiting for you and I to return home.